so glad you decided to worship with us today. In the book of Psalms, in uh, chapter 103, David writes, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. With my whole heart. Our worship is so much more than words that we speak or the songs that we sing. It's the heart behind it. That's what the Lord longs for. I want to encourage you this morning that as we sing, um, to consider what the Lord has done for you personally. Make it personal because it's his heart to connect with us. So let's lift him up. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. 
We sing alleluia. We sing alleluia. We sing alleluia. The Lamb has overcome. We sing alleluia. We sing alleluia. We sing alleluia. The Lamb has overcome. Lord, 
All thrones 
dominions, all powers and possessions. Your name stands above them all, and the angels cry, Holy, all creation cries, Holy, you are lifted high. If you've been forgiven, and if you've been redeemed, sing a song forever to the Lamb. If you walk in freedom, if you bear His name, we'll sing a song forever to the Lamb. We'll sing a song forever and amen. Your name is the highest, your name is the greatest, your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers, all possessions, your name, it stands above them all. Psalms 103 says, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and he crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to the children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Father God, thank you this morning 
for being merciful and loving and patient and compassionate towards us. Father God, we give you all the praise and glory today for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Morgan has been walking with the Lord for a long time, and she has a, an incredible faith and a beautiful relationship with the Lord, and just felt it on her heart, the call to be baptized and make that declaration public. So Morgan, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Okay. According to God's command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in death, and raised to walk in a new life. Good morning, New Covenant Church. If this is your first time visiting with us in person or online, welcome. We're so glad that you've decided to worship with us today. At New Covenant Church, we invite all people in the communities where we live to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ. You can learn more about NCC, become part of our church family, or join the volunteer team by going through our Connect class online or by attending one of the upcoming in-person classes. If you'd like to bless what God is doing through the ministries at NCC with your tithes and offerings, you can use the offering boxes or give online at newcovenantlampasses.com. If you've got any questions about what's going on here at NCC or want more information on how to get connected, please stop by the hub after the service. Again, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. Now let's open and prepare our hearts for the word. you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're excited about what God is doing. Isn't baptisms fun? We're excited about these lives that God is changing and pray for young life. They're incredible, have incredible ministry and what Cody is doing. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's pray for Israel this morning, would you? 
Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, trusting that your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we know that your light is upon Israel and all that's taking place in that land. We pray for wisdom for leaders. We pray for uh, redemption for lives. We pray for protection of, of innocence. Father, we pray that your name would be glorified and that you would show yourself mighty. And, Father, that what comes out of this time is that Jesus Christ would be known as Lord over all the earth. Father, we pray for your protection and provision because we're asking it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. We're so glad you're here. Let me give you an announcement right quick. Next Sunday night, next Sunday night, we're going to be having the blind... The story of the true story of the Robertson family. It's out in the theaters now, but we're going to have it in this auditorium next Sunday night, six o'clock. You can get tickets. There is a code. Uh, what's it called? A C QR code. That's beyond my time. QR code that you can get buy your tickets. It's also on the front page of our website that you can buy tickets. If you don't have internet. And you need somebody to buy your tickets, call us. And we'll buy the tickets for you and you can pay us cash with a little tip on the side. <laughs> but anyway, next Sunday night, I'm excited about this time. It's an incredible testimony and it's going to glorify the Lord Jesus. I'm glad it's in the theaters, but I'm also glad that we're having the opportunity. So avail yourself to that. I'm excited about the message this morning, and, and just hold on. I preached long in the first service. I'm going to try not to preach long in this service. Uh, it doesn't work. I know it never does work. Second Kings, we, last week we talked about the Josiah generation. I believe, coming to church a few weeks ago, the Lord gave me a picture of a Josiah, literally the words of Josiah generation. And so I've been studying this for the last few weeks, trying to get a handle on what I believe that God is saying to us. Last week, I talked to the, the, the young people born since 2001. I want all the young people that were born since 2001 to stand up. Would you please? Come on, stand up. I want to show you how many young people we got going. Hey, this is, this is the generation. This is the next generation. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to uh, mark them, pray for them, uh, ask God to bless them, because I believe that God is coming for this generation. I believe that He has... He's going to be raising them up. I also believe that He's going to be empowering them to do things that we've been waiting for for a long time. And so I want to talk to you the second part of the Josiah generation. The first part, the, the, you say, well, who is Josiah? Second Kings chapter 22 verses 1 and 2 says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David and did not turn to the right or to the left. At the time I got this word for the youth, I didn't know that Jonathan Kahn has already written a book called the Josiah Manifesto. And so I haven't read the book, but he picked a good title. Josiah. It was a confirmation to me that God is saying something to this generation. And so I, 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 don't, I haven't read the book, so I, I can't recommend it, but I'm just telling you that... Uh, for me, it was a confirmation. Josiah came to the throne when, are you, at the age of a third grader. 
Now think about being king of a nation at the age of a third grader. Blows me away. Uh, last week I told you he's still picking boogers. I don't know if Josiah did that or not, but the reality is that Josiah did three things. First of all, when he was 16 years old, he set his heart to seek after the Lord personally. Seek after the God of David. David wasn't his father. David was the father of what he stepped into. He was a man after God's own heart. Josiah became a man after God's heart. He started to take... Uh, he, he, became to seek the Lord personally. Then, as he was repairing, the, as he had people repairing the temple, they discovered the book of the law, the Word of God. And they brought it and they read it to Josiah. And he took that word personally and began to say that I'm going to take personal responsibility. And he began to read it. He read it and cut covenant with the whole people. And all the people stood with Josiah. But then he does something, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. He took action on the Word. And in chapter 23 of 2 Kings, we're not going to read that. We're going to just talk about it because if I read it, you'd be here till 2. Josiah began as a young man to tear down idols and false uh, gods and altars. And he began to burn them and do all these things and tear it all down. He was going to walk in the Word of God and restore to Israel, to restore to Jerusalem the Word and worship. And Josiah became a, a young person that literally transformed the country. And here's why. Josiah took the throne in a time that God was about to judge Israel. He was about to send them away. Because of the abominations of Israel, he was going to send them away into captivity for 70 years. But God raised up Josiah, put him in a place, and had him act for the Word of God that gave a space of time for the people to repent. Now, I hate to tell you the end of the story, but the end of the story is after Josiah is killed in battle, the people go right back to what they were doing before. But for this time, Josiah was a man after God's heart and he turned a nation to seek after God. I believe a Josiah of generation is being raised up right now. But here's the thing that I never saw. And I've read the Bible through many, many times. But you know what you do when you're reading the Bible through? You read over things. You ever read over things in the Bible called Leviticus? You know, those kind of things. You read over those things. But all of a sudden, the, the, what really caught my attention was what oh, Josiah was doing. And Josiah was tearing down altars and false gods, but they had names. And so much of the time, we don't realize that, you see, behind the idols are spirits. Behind the idols are spirits. And you can tear down the idol, but you must deal with the spirit. And let me tell you something, those spirits don't care how many times you tear down idols until you cast down spirits. And so we're going to talk about this morning spiritual warfare for the Josiah generation. You see, Josiah was just a young man and he began to tear down things that had been set up by Solomon. Things that had been set up by his granddad. And you know, how, what gave him the audacity? What gave him the authority? 
Well, one thing, he was king. But there was something more. I believe that God had raised him up for such a time as this. And I believe that God had given him the authority. God was with him. And he was working in response to God. He was doing this in response to God. But what got me was I began to look up the names. Here's the word that God's given me for today. When you turn away from the Lord, you turn to alternative spirits. Here's the thing that we don't understand. When God created man, He created us to be responsive to our spirit, to the spiritual. When God created man, He made man for God to walk with, for God to be in, in a relationship with. He made us in His image and He wanted to be. But man believed the lie of another spirit. When man believed the lie of the other spirit, the Bible, we call it the fall. He fell away from God. When he turned away from the truth as it was in God, he, he didn't become innocent. He didn't become independent. He became now empowered by another spirit. Then he began to act like the spirit he was empowered by. He began to accuse. He began to, to, to blame. He began to hide. He began to do all the things that wasn't normal to him when he was responding to God. But now he's responding to another spirit. Listen. Listen to me, when a culture or a people or a person turn away from the Lord, you, you're not left independent, you're not left innocent, you are literally are turning yourself into the influences or unto the influences of the other spirits that's available to deceive you, to bring you captive, to, to captivate your mind and literally to destroy you. Why does God hate idols? Because they destroy you. But these idols are alternatives to God. When I say idols, I'm not talking about the, the, the poles. I'm not talking about the altars. I'm talking about the spirit behind it. You see, these had names. They're in, in chapter 23 and verse 4, it talks about Baal. There was a God named Baal. Now, Baal... <laughs> His, he, was not, he was called the possessor. He's the God of property, of plenty, of prosperity. He promises, but He can't deliver. He promises, but in His deliverance, He captivates or brings to captive the people who follow Him. Asherah. It's, she's called the enchantress. It's a goddess of fertility, of illicit and perverted sensuality. Molech, he was the God, he called the destroyer. He was the God of child sacrifice, the principality of bloodlust. Ashtaroth was the goddess, again a female, of the hunt or the battle of war. Chemosh was the God of conquest and subjection. All of these are the, the ones that Josiah is tearing down. Milcom is the God of fire and death. Josiah took them down. He cast them out. He restored the word and the worship of God in Jerusalem. Josiah's action wasn't just because he feared judgment, but because he believed the promises of God. Now I said all that real quick. But here in the world, how in the world did Josiah, a young man, have the ability that his grandfather and his father didn't have and people that was going to, his own sons following him after him didn't have. It was because God was with him. God had a purpose and when, the, when Josiah responded to what God was saying and what God was doing, God brought victory. God brought deliverance. God raised him up. 
He believed God and responded. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God's winning today? Do you believe God's winning? Do you believe that He will win? Do you believe God's plans and His purposes, His will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, if we believe all of that, because, yeah, it's in the Word, then why are we in the shape we're in? Let me tell you why. When you turn away from God, you turn to alternative influences and spirits. In 1960... After generation, after since 1776, in 1960, we took prayer out of school. Okay? The, the Josiah, these born in 2001, wasn't born then. It wasn't their fault. Not only did we take prayer out of school, but there in the 60s, uh, some of us will remember the sexual revolution. If, if we only knew what it was going to turn into. Okay? Do you realize Baal was the deal of property? We, the almighty dollar became the God of America after the 50s. Right? Everything began to blossom and bloom and property. Now wealth was the position. In the 70s, we legalized abortion. Child sacrifice, if you want to say it. In the 80s, we took the commandments off the walls of the school and took those things off the, out of our courthouses, even though behind the Supreme Court <laughs> is the Ten Commandments. They can't take that down. You understand what I'm saying? Now, listen, when you turn away from God, you turn to alternative gods. I believe a Josiah generation has been birthed on this planet. You see, none of these kids were born in that time. That is all normal to them. That is normal. I believe God's going to wake up a generation that's going to turn back to God the things that are God's. And He's going, I believe revival's going to come to this generation in power and demonstration, but they're going to have to learn how to, how to fight the fight. All right? Let me just go on. Here's the reason. If, if we don't understand... You see, God in our world today is optional, if not denied altogether. Uh, what then is the Josiah generation to do? They've got to come to see God for who He is, and they've got to realize they are in a spiritual war. Listen, what's going on in Israel is just the... Just the <sighs> It's just the drip in the bucket. You realize very easily it could be worldwide quickly. Understand that these things, the wars and rumors of war, remember last week I told you this generation is the not yet generation. The generation that can get stand up and say, that may be what everybody's saying, but not yet, not for my generation. I believe this generation can turn the tide and I'm believing and praying for that. But the, here's the thing. We're in a spiritual war. And if you don't understand that, 
you, you've got to understand, we don't have the luxury of neutrality. We must engage in the fight. A truce will never be called. It hasn't since the beginning, and it won't be until Jesus comes again. There's not going to be a truce in this war. You're either going to fight, or you're going to fail, or fall. We're in a spiritual war. God's will for His saints is not to merely survive, though. But we're to thrive in total victory. Don't, don't you think, if that's the case, if we're in a war, don't you think it's best that we know how to fight? Ephesians 6, verse 10. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It'll be on the screen. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There's a word here that keeps appearing in those verses. Stand. Stand. Stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Withstand in the evil day. And then having done everything to stand. I got an idea that God's telling us to stand. Stand. Take a stand. I believe the Josiah generation will be the ones who stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. Realize, realize, every one of us, those, those of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord, know, know that you're in relationship with Him, that you've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Realize that you're at an incredible advantage over Josiah. You're at a great advantage over what Josiah had. And if Josiah could take it down in his generation, then we with our advantage can take it down in this generation. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we have a defeated enemy. We have a defeated... On the cross, Jesus not only died for the sin of mankind, He disarmed, destroyed, and destroyed the power of the enemy for over all who trust Jesus as the Lord of their life. Colossians 2.15 says this, He canceled the record of the charges against us and He took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's how we got forgiveness. In this way, verse 15 says, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Jesus became flesh and blood to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 in the message translation says this, Since we children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on the flesh and blood in order to rescue them by His death. By embracing death, taking into Himself, Jesus destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. Jesus sent out His disciples. You remember when He sent out the 70? And He gave them authority to preach the kingdom, to heal diseases, to cast out devils. And when they came back to Jesus, they were amazed. And then Jesus said something in Luke 10, 19 that I think He's saying to us, Behold, I give you authority, the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Every time we start talking about spiritual warfare, our, our antennas go up and, and you think about causing fear. Listen, I'm, this 
this is, most, this is the most dynamic message if you'll understand it because you have been given authority that all the hell and the devil is scared of. You have been given authority. You have an advantage to literally tear down strongholds and, and everything that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. You have that authority, but we've got to learn how to use it. We're not to stand in our own strength. I'm not telling you to learn how to do something. I'm, lear- I'm telling you learn how to be somebody. We don't stand in our own strength. The word strong here, be strong in the Lord, uh, literally means to be enabled and empowered by God. When you accept Jesus, you're, not, you're, you're united with Christ. What the baptism showed this morning are so important. Morgan and, and Stormy, the old person they were when they accepted Jesus has been identified with Christ in such a way that all their sin, everything about them has been transformed. And they literally, it's as though they went to the cross with Jesus and died. And then they were buried. And on the third day, He was raised and they were raised with Him to walk in a brand new life. They have a new life and a new authority by which they can literally be overwhelming conquerors in the life they're living. Grab a hold of that. You see, we don't want to turn away from God. We want to turn into the victory that is ours. We don't stand to win victory. We stand because the victory's already won. He's made us overwhelming conquerors. We don't stand for victory. We stand because of victory. We don't stand in order to win, but we stand to enforce what Christ has already won. They shouldn't be the generation that God... We should have been the generation that God raised up. But they are going to be. They're going to take it farther than we ever dreamed. Can you tell I'm excited about the next generation? Well, let's look at the warfare though. Verse 12 of Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness. These are spirits principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. The word heavenly places there, it's not talking about heaven where God lives. It's talking about the heavenlies of the atmosphere. Literally, these spirits are in the atmosphere all around us all the time. We've got to learn how to fight. And let me tell you, what's confusing about it is because it's an invisible battle. It's confusing because we tend to... See, it says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The warfare is not people against people. It's not a political struggle. It's not a social struggle. It's not an economic struggle. It's not even a religious struggle. It's not a struggle between human beings. It's a struggle within human beings. The battleground is not with the human and the visible, but with the redeemed and the invisible. I know. You say, preacher, I don't understand. That's confusing. You see, here's the problem. We can see people. People are the ones who are acting evil, living wicked lives, practicing all kinds of destructive and hurtful practices. What I can't see, and where we are going to fight our battle, what I can't see is the spirits that are behind what they're doing. The spirits that are blinding their eyes lest they see the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ and be transformed. The war is not with the visible. The war is with the invisible. Behind every person 
who harms and injures and deceives is a spiritual enemy. The person is not my enemy. It's the influences of the person that's my true enemy. And though we don't war against flesh and blood, flesh and blood are the pawns that these spirits use. And in our confusion, now listen to me, what we tend to do is try to fight them on their turf. We try to fight them on physical turf. So when somebody comes at you, somebody slaps you, what are you going to do? I'm going to give them a fistful. Now hear me. When we start to respond to people on their turf, we fall into the trap they fell into. And we began to do according to the influences that was influencing them. And then what we find ourselves being is becoming... You see, I, I can... You'll never f- fight their fight their way and win. You may win the fight, but you lose the war. The war is what's causing it. What's influencing it. I know it's confusing, but you've got to catch this. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spirits and the influencers behind what's going on. The ideologies that have been bought into by people. The patterns, the thought patterns, the intellectualism of it. All of these things that literally hold people in bondage. And listen, while they're in bondage, they think they're absolutely right. And they think you're an absolute fool. So what are, how do we fight? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3, it's going to be on the screen. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we're not going to use fleshly weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God, divinely powerful for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to talk to you about the spiritual weapons that God has provided for us. They're divinely powerful. The first one, the most important one, is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. In Luke 10, where I talked about a while ago, when Jesus sends out the 70, they return and they say this to Jesus, Lord, even the demons, the spirits, are subject to us in your name. And Jesus answered them and he says, I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now think about this. They just knew that something happened and the spirits were responding when they used the name of Jesus. What Jesus said is, is I was watching Satan fall from his lofty position to, to the earth. In other words, while we were just thinking of the thing that was going on in the earth, God, Jesus was seeing what was happening behind the scenes. Satan was falling like lightning to the earth. They were using his name and Satan was falling. Why would they fall to the name? Because Philippians tells us, uh, Paul tells us, because of the cross, verses 9 through 11, God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name 
which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen to me. Every demon of hell knows the authority of the name of Jesus. Every demon of hell knows the authority of the name of Jesus. My question is, do you? Now, I'm not talking about a magic potion using the name like you're going to throw out a, a, a something and think that it's going to accomplish something. No, I'm saying those who know His name can use His name. And I want to tell you something. Well, in other words, if you know who Jesus is, what He's done, what the victory He's won, all of the things about who Jesus is, being the truth, if you know the truth about Jesus, He welcomes you to use His name. He says, in my name, you can cast out demons. Let me tell you, every demon knows the power of the name of Jesus. I wish the church did. I wish we knew the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of things going on in our lives that we wouldn't put up with if we really understood that the victory that Jesus has won over that. And you can use His name. And every demon and every influence behind it has to bow the knee because the name of Jesus has power. We have the name of Jesus. Then there's another thing. <coughs> we have the armor of Christ. The word armor in the original language is parapleia. Parapleia. And it literally, it's not just talking about what we think of armor is what you, you put these things on. Uh, but the word parapleia means the complete weaponry. Every weapon is included in this. Every weapon. So that got me thinking, well, I, when I've preached on the armor of God, I've always talked about the helmet, talked about the, the girdle, uh, the belt of truth. I've talked about the preparation of the feet and uh, the, the shoes. I've talked about the breastplate. I've talked about the shield. I've talked about the sword. I'm talking about the armor. And all of a sudden God says, stop looking at the dressing and look at the elements that it represented. It's... The belt is truth. So here's the armor. Here's the weaponry that God gives us to use. Truth. Truth. The manifested, veritable essence of a matter. The real, the true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Truth. Jesus is the truth. We have the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means to be right standing with God. It is not the result of my works. It's not a result of my good deeds. It's a result of my surrender to Jesus. God, let him who knew no sin become sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. When I submit to Jesus Christ, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and applies it to me. I don't deserve it. I don't even know how to live in it. But here's the truth. The matter has been settled. The truth is that I stand in the righteousness of God, covering my heart and my relationship with Him, thanks to Jesus. Literally, if you could see these, I'm literally putting on Jesus the truth. I'm putting on the reality of who He is. I'm letting Him cover my heart with the, the right 
witness of my standing with Him thanks to Jesus. You see, it's my surrender and my alignment to Jesus that gives me righteousness. And then he says, the shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace, it is a firm and solid understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Sin has been forgiven. The devil has been defeated. And hope is, is in eternal life. I have it all. It is the reality of the full promises of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I no longer have to die in my sin. I can live in righteousness and peace with Him. The peace of God rules my heart. And then it says, the sh- lifting up the shield of faith. And here's, a, in the original, in the Greek, it's not just faith. You see, when I say faith, most of us say, well, that's just believing God. That's just trusting God. No, it doesn't say that. In the Greek, it says, lift up the shield of the faith. The faith. There's an there's a article, the, in front of faith in the original. The faith. It's the summarizing of all things we know from God's Word, everything we believed, and everything that is shown to be believed by our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the faith. It is what everybody knows to be truth and righteousness and peace. It's the faith that we are literally going to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. He can't lie to us. He can't get through to us. Why? Because we have the understanding, the firm assurance of the faith that Jesus Christ has established in our lives. Are you getting this? These are our weapons. You say, well, they don't seem like very active weapons. Well, we get to the sword of the Spirit. Well, i got to get to the helmet of salvation first, don't I? Salvation. Now listen, salvation means to be made whole, to be delivered from. And it's not just deliverance from, it's deliverance to. It is everything that is based in salvation, which includes not only the promises of forgiveness, but the promises of eternal life. You see, why the devil can't get over on us is he can't stop us from where we're going. He can't keep us from there. You see, I have a hope that though he slay me, I can trust him. Though the enemy, you see, though the enemy might look like he wins, he loses because I still make it. You've got to understand, we're not going to lose this war. It's already been won, but we've got to fight it. We have the ultimate promise, which is our hope. And then He gives us the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And I love this. It's the word rhema. Now there's two words in Scripture for word. Lagos, which means the the revelation, and rhema. And I love this definition. definition. It is the living voice speaking the Word. It's the living voice speaking the Word. When Jesus was in the, uh, led by the Spirit in the temptations, He was tempted three times, you remember? And in Luke chapter 4, you'll find that every time He was tempted, every time the enemy came at Him with something, lying to Him, deceiving Him, trying to trick Him up, every time He said, it is written. And then He went on to say, what, it was a living voice speaking forth the Word. If you understood the power of your voice when you speak the Word of God... If you understood what that's doing in the invisible realm, you'd do it. You would memorize Scripture. You know, we think memorizing Scripture so we can put it in our heart. God wants you to memorize Scripture because you can take down the devil. That's good. I didn't even have that in my notes. 
Praying always in all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always. And let me tell you something. This is the one that while you've got to understand, it's the praying. We stand up in the truth. We stand up in righteousness. We stand up with our voice. We stand up and we put up the shield and we quench all the fiery darts. But it's the praying. It's the praying that empowers the work of God behind the scenes. Praying with all kinds of prayers in all times in the Spirit. You have a prayer partner. You have a prayer partner, the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us when we don't know how to pray for what we ought, He prays for us. He prays with us. Listen to me. If you'll understand it, praying is just aligning yourself up and talking to God about the situation. And you've got to understand that God gives His authority and His participation by His Spirit when you pray. I'm, I'm, I'm changing the whole way. How many of you, if you really were to be honest, to say that probably the thing that you lack most in your Christian life is really knowing how to pray? Just prayer just seems hard. Let me tell you, why do you think the enemy would make prayer hard? Because he knows prayer is where the battle is. And he knows prayer is where the battle's won. We've got to understand God has given us the most powerful weapon that we have. That we can literally, standing in this earth, in this time, under this stress, I can talk to the creator of the universe and let him be involved in what he's doing in our world. And I can just align myself with him and participate. He can tear down everything else and give me victory. Why do we have the weapons? Look at chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians verses 3 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. The weapons of our warfare are to pull down strongholds. Pulling down, word that means literally to dismantle, to destroy, to, to, to do away with. To pull down strongholds, which the word here is fortresses. There's some, if you thought of a castle with the wall around it, that's a fortress. The whole idea was that the wall, that nothing could penetrate the wall. It had to get through the wall. But you see, that's... People who don't know Christ, there's a wall. And literally, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the reason the gospel is hidden is because the God of this world has blinded their eyes lest they could see the light of the gospel and be transformed. The, gos- the God of this world has blinded their eyes. What's He blinded? What's He put walls around them with? Ideologies, intellectualism, all these isms that you can think of, the enemy is constantly putting things in. He's leading them away, lead them in different directions. But the other side of this is not only is there walls that keep somebody from Christ or from God, but inside the fortress there's also prison walls. There's a lot of people who know Christ who know what He's about, who know, but, but because they've believed the lie, because they've turned from God to other ideas, other thoughts, other ways of life, those kind of things, they literally are in captivity. 
And every time they try to turn to God, the devil knows exactly where to push their button to make them fall, to move them in a way. And so not only is there strongholds that keep the lost from God, but there's literally strongholds that keep the saved from living in the victory that they've got because they're looking through bars of deception. Lies we believed and ways of life that we've accepted as normal. And the Lord wants to set us free. Praying with the weapons, we literally, with the truth, with righteousness, with these, literally the name of Jesus can dismantle the strongholds, the fortresses, the prison cells, and set us free. But also, listen to me, it says casting down arguments. This is reasonings or ideologies. You do know that the war we're fighting in America is ideologies. It's thought patterns. It is ways of thinking. And listen to me. This war is not going to be won with bullets or with ballots or with any... It's going to be won behind the scenes. You're going to have to pull down thought patterns. We're going to have to pull down lies. We're going to have to pull down deception. We're going to have to pull down those things that we thought has been the truth and there have been lies all along. If we don't understand that, casting them down... What happened, they had been living in Josiah's time, they had been living with these altars and with these worship things and going on in the temple all these years. And Josiah comes out and takes everything out. What are they left with? God. Would it be so bad that all we have left when we get through with this is God? who loves us so much that He gave His Son for us, that He might give His life to us, that we might live with Him forever and have absolute, complete victory? Would that be so bad? You've got to understand, we're in a war for to tear down, to cast down ideologies and everything that exalts itself. That word exalts itself, imaginations. It literally is the word pretensions. You know, isn't it amazing how many people propose themselves to be wise? It's intellectualism. God wants to set us free. He wants us to set others free. He wants us to take a stand and see ideologies fall. See reasonings fall to the ground, pushed aside. That the truth would literally have free access in the hearts and lives of women and men. That love and life would be normal again. These spiritual weapons ordained by God may not appear impressive. They're not going to impress anybody outwardly in the humanistic society. In fact, probably some of you are thinking, I'm not impressed. But let me tell you this. These are the only weapons that can pull down strongholds of Satan in the world and cast down humanistic speculation and reasonings of of the world's systems and set people free. There's no other way. There's no other way in Scripture that you can find that you can pull down strongholds or you can cast down imaginations. This is the way God intends it. It's for you to fight the invisible battle. And folks, listen to me. It needs to begin with us. It needs to begin with us. You see, I don't care. Just recently, not too long ago, God just began to open my eyes to see some things that I had literally began to think another way about. And I didn't, others had said it and I'd 
thought it and I thought it through and I looked at it and all of a sudden God says, Daryl, don't, you can't go where that's going. You can't go where that's going. Get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. Don't let these things take you off because when you turn away from God, you turn to the other influences. It's truth as it is in Jesus. It's His resurrection. It is Him who is alive right now. He, is going to give, he gave us His Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And it's amazing to me how often we can get caught up with somebody else's ideas and get away from what God has said. And let me tell you, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God for the pulling down of those things and the tearing down of the intellectualism and the pretensions of the world. My prayer for the Josiah generation is this. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Listen to me. Shortly. I like that last word. We know God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. But I love the word. Shortly. Soon. I am praying for this generation that they are literally going to step into something that God is going to anoint and He's going to do in such a way that literally they're going to teach old people new tricks. We're going to see what God can do with this generation. Paul wrote Romans 16, 20 that they would soon crush Satan under their feet shortly. Paul wrote those words, but he never saw them fulfilled. Paul was, tradition says he was probably beheaded. But the very words that he left us with came to fulfillment in the very empire he had wrote. In 300 years, in 300 years, the Romans who had persecuted them and lit them up at stakes and had crucified them, had done all these things to them, accepted Christianity as their religion, as their faith. The weapons of Paul's warfare were mighty through God for the pulling down of ideologies and false gods and literally a whole realm, a whole that ruled the world at that time became a Christian in their faith. Now I'm not saying they had it all right. But I'm saying that Paul, literally a nation had been changed by the warfare of the Christians. What will happen if we will learn how to do war with God's weapons? The name of Jesus. Truth, righteousness, peace, salvation, faith. Praying always with all prayer and all supplication in the Holy Spirit. What will happen when we get behind the physical and do war in the heavenlies? I'm going to invite the worship, the, the prayer team to come forward. Because here's the thing I know. We can't start with them. We've got to start with us. If there's areas that the Holy Spirit right now is revealing that you're thinking wrongly about, that maybe you've, you've, you've kind of had it, the idea that you're not really sure if God's going to win anymore. You're not really sure He's going he's to come through. Let me ask you a question. If God doesn't come through, who will? 
then I want to turn my heart back. Any stronghold, any prison, any bars of deception that I've been looking for, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus and according to the truth of His Word that it will be broken off of me this morning. I pray for it breaking the power that has held me in bondage. Addiction, fear, uh, distraction, deceit, perversions, habits, attitudes. Cast them down. The reasonings, ways of thinking, lies we believe that deny the very faith that we say we walk in. The pretensions, the make-believe life we try to live. Be free in Jesus' name. Your submission to God is your resistance of the enemy. Let's start with us. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? The prayer teams are here to to agree with you, but more than anything else, would you allow the Holy Spirit to put His finger on any area of your life that you know right now that you're in bondage to? If you're in bondage to it, it's not just something that you've gotten into, the habit of. It is a spirit behind it. And Jesus is here this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit to literally set you free. Set you free. And you can choose Him. And you can walk out of this place free from those areas. You have to make the choice. He's already given the victory. You have to use His name. Let His truth set you free. If any man, you know, the Son of Man will, He is the truth, and the truth will make you free. As Megan sings, we're going to invite you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you.
take what the enemy meant for evil You turn it for good You turn it for good We're going to give these opportunity to continue to minister but I want to leave you with something It says there's no life so far from God that His mercy cannot reach it There's no sin one has committed that is so great that His forgiveness is not greater still it's no bondage, no addiction, no chain so strong that it cannot withstand, that it can withstand His power to break it. No past so defiled, no full of guilt or shame that His power to redeem it is still not greater. And there's no darkness so dark that His love is not deeper still. He is the light that drives out all darkness, the hope that overcomes all hopelessness, the grace that washes away all sin, guilt, and shame, the way that breaks open every wall and barrier and makes possible what was not. His arms are still open and His love is calling. One only has to say yes to receive it. My prayer is you will say yes to Him in Jesus' name. May God bless you and give you His freedom and victory this week. Pray for the Josiah generation in Jesus' name.